Hi, this is Lily DeHoyas Anderson, and you're listening to Choosing Glory. I want to take a minute and thank you again for the many expressions of condolences and support that I've gotten from podcast listeners and Patreon subscribers. I appreciate it all. I can't get back to everybody. I'm trying to acknowledge them when I can, but I do feel the support of your prayers. And of course, I don't expect that everybody can reach out, and that's not something I'm asking for. We're all busy, but there have been some very tender things shared, and many that I've shared with my family. So I appreciate it very much, and I am grateful for it. I also want to mention that Chris's funeral is on January 13th, so I'm not sure if there will be something to post next week. Of course, there are a lot of necessary activities that I'm involved with right now that consume a lot of time and attention. So I appreciate your patience. If I miss a week or make it up later, I'll see what I can do. Maybe I get ahead. I'm not sure. We'll have family coming into town. There's a lot to do to get ready and so on and still making some plans. So anyway, thanks for your patience and thanks for your patience to you Patreon subscribers. I do have something I'm going to try to post this weekend that was recorded last month and I'm grateful to Doug Larson, my audio editor, for getting these things turned around really quickly, more quickly than I'm able to follow through, to be honest, with the things on my plate right now. I do want to say, too, that as much as I feel the support of the prayers and particularly of the Spirit, it doesn't mean I don't feel an ache for Chris. I do. I miss him terribly. It's like part of your life is gone, and and in fact, it is. So I'm not trying to be glib or say that these things can be done without feeling great loss. I'm experiencing that on kind of two levels as just, you know, the surviving spouse that misses Chris terribly, but also it's interesting for me as a clinician, I've worked with a lot of people who've gone through grief and I've gone through my own grief, but never this experience of losing my spouse or a family member this close to that unit family, you know, a spouse or a child. And I, I'm i trying to learn. I want to learn what God has for me to learn. I recognize that suffering is a part of this life. And we've talked a little bit about this. I think I did some extra content on joining the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. And that has been in my mind as well, that there is no way to avoid all the hardships and pain of life. And it would not be and perfect plan if we did. We do need to have our portion of the bitter cup and then determine what we want to do with it. Let me say something that I've said before, and you may have heard this earlier in the podcast. I've talked about how the phrase, a broken heart and a contrite spirit, is one that we often learn in our youth as members of the church, if we were born in the church or grew up in the church. And we can say it fast and smoothly together. We get used to putting those words together. But as I mentioned before, it wasn't until my own heart broke for the first time that I realized they don't automatically go together. Everybody's heart will break in our journey, but not everybody will have a contrite spirit. I'm going to discuss a little bit more of that on some extra content that I'll be recording right after this. And if you're interested in some of these extra thoughts, please go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash choosing glory. And you can subscribe there for the extra content. 
And again, thanks to all those who are supporting this podcast with their subscriptions and book purchases. That's making it possible for me to continue right now. And I hope that we can grow some of those things and develop more content that will be valuable so that I can keep this going in the future. So let's talk about the Book of Mormon. First Nephi chapters one through five. I venture to say these might be the most read and reread chapters of the Book of Mormon because I think many of us have started the Book of Mormon more times than we have finished it. <laughs> and I hope that as we get older, that happens less. But I know even in this stage of my life, there have been times where I've started the Book of Mormon and then I start again before I finish it, just, you know, because I get distracted. I'm reading other scriptures or so on, and I decide to go again. So anyway, these are pretty darn familiar chapters. I would say most of us know these stories quite well about Nephi and getting the brass plates. You know, we, the words are very familiar after multiple readings and times that we have have started this study. I'm glad we're going to finish it this year again if we continue on this path. And it's a wonderful opportunity to, as a church, read this book together and unite ourselves in study and faith. And frankly, the Book of Mormon is such a parallel to what's happening now. I am so grateful that we have this record of this people and what they went through and how people responded to the opportunities and challenges that existed there, because we have that same opportunity to choose how we respond to the challenges and the opportunities that exist now. Our prophet, President Nelson, keeps telling us that, and I believe him. Well, let's look at the first part here. I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents. Let's read from the proclamation to the world. Parents have a sacred duty to rear their children in love and righteousness, to provide for their physical and spiritual needs, to teach them to love and serve one another, to observe the commandments of God and be law-abiding citizens wherever they live. Husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, will be held accountable before God for the discharge of these obligations. Now, that's a pretty big responsibility, brothers and sisters. Look at this. Obviously, I mean, maybe perhaps in some cases, but not in every case, providing for physical needs is sort of part of our routine. Now, there are circumstances where that is not so easy. And early in our family history, we were so tight financially that it, it was something that we would pray about to make sure we were going to be able to provide for these kids. And then to provide for their spiritual needs is listed right in conjunction with that. That this is not just about keeping them physically alive. This is about helping them become alive to the Spirit, become acquainted with their Heavenly Father, to understand the great Savior Jesus Christ and how much love He has for them and to help them feel that love. We need to focus them on righteousness. We need to teach them the commandments of the gospel of Jesus Christ and not leave these things to the programs of the church haven't we seen that more and more lately where those programs have been scaled down and where things like COVID shut down so much of it that it really heightened that understanding if it wasn't there before, that it's in the home that children are going to learn the gospel for the most part. And may we do our best. And I'm also going to say that 
it's much harder a job than it was in the past. I don't mean to denigrate parenting in any age. The challenges have been always significant and absolutely real. Nevertheless, many of you will remember my discussing this, that I've had parents come to me over the years that I've been a counselor and say, you know, that they don't know how to get their kids to respect them, for instance. And they'll go to their parents sometimes and ask the grandparents, how did you get us to respect you? Because I never would have treated you the way my kids treat me. And often those grandparents come back and say, we don't know. The truth is the world was an easier place in post-World War II middle-class America to teach children respect for their elders and for their parents. All of society supported those things. Ten Commandments were still listed in the schools. Many people were church attenders. The vast majority of Americans believed in God and affiliated with an organized religion. Those numbers have changed dramatically. We no longer have on TV Leave it to Beaver and Ozzie and Harriet and Father Knows Best and Andy of Mayberry, which had a lot of great parenting stuff in there. If you get a chance to watch Andy of Mayberry or the Andy Griffith Show reruns, especially with your children, do it and discuss some of the things that are taught there in the course of that show that are really quite sweet and lovely. At any rate, that's the kind of environment that that parents were raising their children in, so it was sort of in the air they breathed. The society, at least, as I said, middle-class, post-World War II America, was to a large extent terrestrial, or terrestrial enough that the default setting was different than the default setting now. The world has sunk, as prophesied, into a more telestial world, a more telestial society, an environment, Look at the shows on TV. I hope you're not watching them with your family, but even what we consider the safe family sitcoms have turned into shows where parents are hardly worthy of respect. Some studies have shown that there is not a single respectable, trustworthy, reliable adult in the top 150 family shows that are on all the networks. So our kids are growing up in a world where it teaches them that adults are stupid, parents are stupid, and they cause problems, or they're silly and laughable, and that the children are going to have to solve the problems on their own, and they usually do. And that's the least of the harmful things. There are many things that are much more aggressively harmful to our children, and the social media element is huge. So we've got all kinds of things challenging that order of things as discussed in the family proclamation. You can't teach your children if they don't respect you. You can't. Why should they care what you say? Why should they respond? If you want more information about how to develop better tools and patterns of parenting to accomplish the things that our prophets are admonishing us to take responsibility for and warning us that we'll be accountable for, please consider subscribing to Patreon and looking for those three parenting videos. There is a search function on Patreon that I've discovered or somebody told me about. So anyway, it's not too hard to find those parenting videos. And there is really concrete information about how you can start to turn the tide so that your children develop respect for your authority and respond more appropriately and more successfully to the things you're trying to teach them. Let's just look again at some of these things that not only 
Are we to rear them in love and righteousness and provide for physical and spiritual needs, but teach them to love and serve one another? I know that is not easy in a world like ours. And again, it's not shown on media. Kids are snarky to each other. Kids are rude to each other. They put each other down. They joke or laugh at each other's expense. These things are everywhere. So we'll have to swim upstream to do these things with our children and teach them to swim upstream. And how worth it could it be to observe the commandments of God? How can they observe the commandments of God if they don't observe your own rules of the family and if they don't obey the family expectations and to be law-abiding citizens? I mean, this is all so much harder than it was 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. So can it be done? Absolutely. It can absolutely be done with God's help and by learning the principles that work, that have always worked, but applying them with more concern now because the earth has changed and the world is still turning under our feet. I want to add to that big load of responsibility to parents and kind of a balancing viewpoint, if you will uh, bear with me for a moment. There is a man named Donald Winnicott, a British pediatrician and psychoanalyst, who developed a concept called the good enough parent. He's now deceased, probably in the 1970s, but he wanted to provide support for what he called, quote, the sound instincts of normal parents, stable and healthy families. Now, I just said that things aren't so normal anymore. And again, he passed away in the 1970s, so he was talking about a world that's different from ours. So let's take this with an appropriate understanding of how things have changed. But the point that he's making is, and one of the big points he made was that good enough parents can really bless their children. In other words, he wanted to to kind of remove the frantic feelings that we might have about parenting because we might feel like we're in way over our heads and there's no way we're going to be good enough. And he was saying like, hey, God has given us, well, I'm adding that part, but God has given parents some sound intuitions that we have the light of Christ and he doesn't expect us to be finished or perfect. Notice as we read just in these first five chapters of 1 Nephi, we have Sariah and even Lehi that murmur here and there, or at least, I don't know if Lehi has yet, I forget, but anyway, Sariah has, and I think it's the next sections of chapters that we'll read that we even have Lehi that starts to murmur when the bow breaks. So anyway, we've got some issues with these parents too, because they're not perfect. And notice that they had two of their four sons that left Jerusalem with them, and then of course they have the two younger boys later, that did not listen to them. Now, they were righteous people. So I guess we want to put this all together and realize that we are responsible for doing what we can do and learning to get better at it. God does want us to learn. He wants us to grow. I've said this forever. The product of parenting is not the child. It's the parent. Are we getting better or do we just throw our hands up and give up? Don't throw your hands up and give up. Keep working, keep going to your knees, keep consulting with each other and counseling with other good resources so that you can get better at what you do. And then trust God. They were his children before they were ours. To continue with something about Daniel Winnicott, this British 
pediatrician psychoanalyst, an extension of his championship of the ordinary good mother, the devoted mother, the idea of the good enough parent was designed on the one hand to defend the ordinary mother and father against what Winnicott saw as the growing threat of intrusion into the family from professional expertise. Now, this is so relevant in our day. Do you hear how relevant this is? And forgive me, I'm still hoarse, not sick, but haven't quite gotten my voice back. I'm going to read this again. He wanted to defend the ordinary mother and father against what he saw as the growing threat of intrusion into the family from professional expertise. Well, look at the professional expertise out there. These people are telling us that we have to transition children who feel like they're in the wrong body. That is completely contrary to what the proclamation tells us about how gender is an eternal characteristic of pre-mortal, mortal, and post-mortal life, eternal life. We are not in the wrong bodies, brothers and sisters. There are such things as gender dysphoria and sexual attraction that can be different from the norm. That's true. And there are ways to help people focus on the laws of chastity. Elder Holland said that in one of his firesides a long time ago. Maybe you saw that. I think he was answering questions. And he said, why are we putting so much emphasis on gender? Why aren't we putting more emphasis on the law of chastity? Because the laws of God bless They bless and they magnify us. And if we will obey those laws, regardless of the challenges that we have, we will feel the Spirit grow in our lives. This is not to condemn people who struggle. And if you need help, get help. But don't go to somebody with professional expertise who throws out something like, you know, would you rather have a live son or a dead daughter? Jordan Peterson talks about that and he talks about what a betrayal that is of the entire psychotherapeutic profession, because there is actually no data to support that threat. And so some of these professional voices are really going against the ordinary mother and father, and what especially believing parents might want to encourage their children to focus on, which is trust God, obey the commandments. Let's focus on our identities as children of God, children of the covenant, and disciples of Christ. Those are the identities President Nelson has encouraged us to take on and not to become all manner of ites, which we're going to see here in the Book of Mormon again and again. Okay, I'm getting pretty exercised. Let me move on to my second point. First Nephi 2.12. This is talking about Laman and Lemuel, they did murmur against their father, and they did murmur because they knew not the dealing of that God who had created them. I remember when this phrase, actually, I don't remember when it was or what year it was, that this phrase really caught my attention, that they murmured because they knew not the dealing of that God who had created them. Now, that's a pretty important statement. Knowing God reduces our murmuring and can even eliminate our murmuring or help us to eliminate it. Now, what do we mean by the dealing of God? Well, the plan. You know, as we were saying before, suffering is a part of this plan. 
a broken heart is required so that we can demonstrate it and contrite spirit. So if we don't understand that and we think that if I am trying to be a good person, there's going to be no sorrow, there's going to be no loss, there's going to be no trouble in my life, then yeah, we would murmur, wouldn't we? But if we understand that these things are requisite for us to become who we're meant to become. Neil Maxwell, I've been listening to some of his wonderful talks, says this in a talk called If Thou Endure It Well. He would not be a loving father if he ignored our imperfections. And we must not forget that he would not be a true father if he were content with you and me as we are now. And how do we go from where we are now to where we have the potential to become? In the weight room, in the furnace of affliction, when we endure difficulties and chastening that are not of our own making. This is another thing I've talked about before. Some negative things in life are because of our own bad choices. That's not God refining us, although we can take that opportunity through repentance to learn things and come back into a place where God can begin the sculpting process with us again. But when we are trying to do what's right and life hammers us, this is part of God's plan. And if we understand the dealing of the God who created us, we won't murmur or we will learn how to minimize that murmuring until we can eliminate it. I also want to say that another part of it is to understand that he sees what we don't see. And I've talked about this recently. If we trust that in the coming day, we will see what he sees and that we will recognize the great love and mercy in all of his dealings with his believing children, with his covenant children. Again, if we reject God and rebel against the covenant path, this doesn't apply. Because so many of the things that are difficult when we are rebellious are because of our own rebellion. But if we have chosen God, and still in our imperfect but diligent way, then we can trust that he deals with us with love and mercy. And that is his motivator always to bring us to a place where we can be with him. I do believe it, and it is making all the difference in my own life. I will quote this as well, which I really like. I talked a little bit about don't give up with parenting. Well, here's another wonderful Neil Maxwell idea. Why is non-endurance a denial of the Lord? Because giving up is a denial of the Lord's loving capacity to see us through all these things. Let me say that again. Giving up is a denial of the Lord's loving capacity to see us through all these things. Giving up suggests that God is less than he really is. It is a denial of his divine attributes and therefore a denial of our own possibilities. Now, quick personal story here. We still don't have a house that is finished and the holidays, of course, and other things have happened. But just a couple of days ago, there was supposed to be the installation of seven appliances upstairs. And I was, you know, pretty excited about that because that would give me a 
functional, not a completely finished, but a functional kitchen, which we haven't had for going into our seventh month. So I was pretty excited to think that the appliances were going in and there was some preparatory work done by the electrician even the night before who stayed quite late and I appreciated that to try to make sure everything was ready for that part of the installation. Well, the next day came and the installers showed up and it turned out that there were problems with every single appliance. Not that the appliance was faulty, although there were a couple of mistakes that I had made that required a costly substitution that was kind of a blow. Nevertheless, there was something wrong. We didn't have another drain for one thing, so three different appliances could not be completed in their installation. The electricity was in the wrong place for one. The gas line was in the wrong place for another. Anyway, it was it was sort of unbelievable. We went 0 for 7, brothers and sisters, 0 for 7. And I was sort of stunned at the end of the day. And then the next morning, my hopes that some things were going to happen in the basement in time to house some of our visiting family were dashed because there was just too much that would be very difficult to complete if possible at all. And honestly, not likely to be possible. And I had, I guess, been holding out hope that things could fall into place. People were making extra efforts, which I really appreciate, but there are just too many moving parts. So that kind of one-two hit for me of the disappointment with the kitchen appliances and the disappointment with the downstairs not being ready to even have a fully functional bathroom and a bedroom set up was tough. And I found myself kind of depressed. But then I, you know, I had to take myself to task and say, what are you doing? You have been willing to submit to the loss of your spouse and trust God that all these things will work together for your good. I've shared with you one of the many favorite scriptures that Chris and I shared. DNC section 90 verse 24. Search diligently, pray always, and be believing. That can be the hardest part. And all things shall work together for thy good if you walk uprightly And remember the covenant wherewith ye have covenanted one with another. Do I believe that? I do. All things, all things, even, you know, 0 for 7 appliance installation, even another delay and disappointment in the basement, all things can help me to become the person that God knows I can be because He is loving and He is merciful. If I am willing to submit, if I'm willing to trust, so I trust and I submit. I'm not saying we can't work hard and scramble and try to get things working the way they can, but there are too many things in this life that are not in our control. And I trust that they'll all work out. Chris used to say all the time, he had this on his email, in fact, as a little statement at the bottom, we had heard this together in a movie once and anyway and read it somewhere else too and he really liked it everything turns out all right in the end if everything's not all right it's not the end i believe it i believe it i believe it's a happy ending brothers and sisters i celebrate 
and praise God for his goodness. I know it's a happy ending. I can have patience. I can have faith. I can yield to the process. And in the doing of all this, I pray that God will accept the choice that I'm trying to make of choosing the celestial glory, of becoming a more Zion person in my life. So I'm prepared for a Zion marriage with Chris forever. I know we can do it. Join me on Patreon for a little extra content that will really deal with the killing of Laban. I want to share a few thoughts about that, and it will be posted on Patreon before too long. So thank you as ever to my wonderful husband, Chris Anderson and Doug Larson of Point Digital. Take care.